Um, let's let's pray this morning, and then we'll get going. Dear God in heaven, we thank you uh, for the significance of this weekend. Just such a wonderful, powerful time to uh, focus on the the deity of you and your glory and your worth and your eternal throne. We're thankful that we get to be called by your name. We're humbled by the truths of the gospel that um, call us to be your people and to be those who praise and worship you. And we pray that uh, through this time we would be sharper as your people, uh, wiser as your people. I'm not as easily duped as your people and that we would be faithful because of what we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read Colossians 2. I've probably read it several times during this series, but I want to read it again. Thank you. Colossians 2. It's, it's appropriate for not only this weekend, but this morning. Colossians 2, verse 8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Verse 9 is completely in contradiction to what a Christian scientist believes. And I'll show that to you in a moment. Uh, Once again, we're in a series right now just kind of asking important questions, questions worth asking, and we've kind of of gotten into this uh, sub-series within the series of just all of these religions, right? If you're going to be in evangelism with a heart for the world, it, it, it begins with an understanding that the world is wrong. The world is going to hell because of both their idolatry and their false understanding of what true uh, saving faith looks like. And and this morning we're going to talk about Christian scientists. And and before we kind of get into uh, who they are and what they believe, let me just kind of um, explain to you or, or kind of set you up for what I want to accomplish um, this morning, there's a few things I want to accomplish. First off, I want to reveal the the true beliefs of Christian science and demonstrate, uh, particularly through the writings of their own leader, that they are not a true form of Christianity. They are a false form of Christianity. That's what a cult is, a false form of Christianity. Uh, a, a, a Christianity that claims to be Christian and maybe uses a lot of Christian words, but when you really get into what they believe, they are not even close to true biblical Christianity. Or as one of my favorite um, TMS professors used to say, Christian science is neither Christian nor scientific. And and I'll kind of explain that to you in a minute. But more importantly, there's something else I want to do. I don't want to just talk about Christian science this morning. I, I want to make a larger point to you you probably won't meet many Christian scientists in your life. Maybe you'll, you'll meet one or two. It's not like a, a, a massive group of people. It's big, it's growing, but it's not huge. But I want to I help you this morning, not just to prepare your mind for Christian scientists, but I want you to think about larger, bigger pictures. I, I want to arm you with knowledge for what makes false forms of Christianity 
tick. You know, I want to help you understand all false forms of Christianity. I think you've already begun to, to see a little bit of, of hints of characteristics of false forms of Christianity. You've already begin, begun to understand, really, what to look for. What are, the, what are the, the cardinal or key or foundational doctrines that make Christianity what it is? But I, I want to help you through um, just this group to, to, to understand and recognize a lot of false forms of Christianity. And, and I actually think, in the end, this will fit in really well with what we've been doing in, in Steadfast all weekend. But I'll let you try to figure that out on yourself. So, uh, first off, most important, what we need to clarify right off the bat. This is Ken Ham. He is a Christian scientist, but he is not a Christian scientist. So, uh, just because you are a Christian who is also a scientist does not make you a Christian capital C, capital S scientist. I'll, I'll explain it to you in a minute. But these are, uh, that was for you, just so you know, just, just to clarify, just to clarify for you. Uh, just so you know, to be, we're, not, we're, not saying, we're not saying the practice of science is wrong. We're talking about an actual religion that calls themselves Christian scientists or the Church of Christ scientists. That's what we're going to be talking about. But that's so confusing to you. You're like, what in the world? This makes no sense. But just so you know, I'm not talking about that kind of scientist, obviously. Um, but I do want to kind of rely on a lecture that I heard in seminary that was really helpful to me. This is one of my favorite professors, Nathan Busnitz. He was here for Steadfast a couple years back. And he gave this really helpful lecture on kind of the origin of cults and cultural Christians and charismatics. And, he, and it was a really helpful lecture because he explained something to me that opened my eyes to see how false forms of Christianity work and, and where they come from. And, and when you see this, I'm convinced this will help you think about false forms of Christianity correctly. And it'll also give you, I pray, a taste and a hunger to understand uh, church history more. Because the more you understand church history, the more you'll be protected against false forms of Christianity. But this lecture, it's lecture number 24 in his YouTube series on historical theology, too, if you're interested. Um, he's basically asking the question, where did 19th and 20th century forms of Christianity that we see today come from? And he, he's going to, in this lecture, this is helpful to me, he compares the forms of Christianity that we see in the 19th and 20th century to a movie that maybe you haven't seen. I actually can't really remember it at all. It's, it's not that great of a movie, but it's, it's helpful to, to understand these forms. He says, he compares it to the movie, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Maybe you've heard of that phrase before, and this is how he explains where the, the current state of Christianity came from. And it all really begins in something called the Great Awakening. Maybe you've heard about the Great Awakenings. There was three of them. The first and the second were really actually good, great awakenings. They produced a lot of good things, a lot of great things even. But the first and second Great Awakening also, with, with every work of genuine work of the Spirit, also comes counterfeit works, right? Also, with the second Great Awakening came a lot of bad things and ugly things as well. And this is what... Uh, Dr. Busnes would argue for. There was, there was good things, there was bad things, and then there was ugly things. The good things, the good things out of the Second Great Awakening in particular were uh, modern missionaries, the modern missions movement. Perhaps you've heard of, of Judson, William um, Carey, Patton. All of these were produced out of the, the Second Great Awakening, and this kind of caused a, a missions movement around the world that we're still feeling today. That's a really good thing. People were were earnest about the faith, and they wanted to 
share the faith with those who had never even heard about Christianity or Christ before. That was a good thing. So we'll say that's the good, although I don't know if that character is that good. But that's the good. It's the modern missions movement. But then Dr. Busnitz goes on to say, the bad, however, the bad that we saw come out of the Second Great Awakening was kind of the enlightenment, naturalistic, evolutionary worldview that spurred on liberalism. We've talked about, you know, you know, historical criticism and all of these things in the Bible. We've talked about kind of, kind of why, why a lot of people think you can't trust the Bible because it's full of errors. It really is rooted in liberalism from the 19th and, and 20th century. They said, oh, look at all these errors, all of these, these faults that we can find in the Bible. Now, once again, like I said earlier on this summer, I think they don't really have a very strong argument. When you look at the, the evidence of Scripture, the evidence of Scripture points to remarkable accuracy, remarkable certainty when you look at all of the, the manuscript evidence. But that was something that came out of the Second Great Awakening, the bad, the liberalism that we saw, Christian liberalism, you could say. Uh, but then the ugly is what we're going to kind of talk about today. The ugly is the cults that, that were like the offshoot of all of this religious fervor. Now, some of you maybe have heard of something called revivalism. In the Great, the great Awakening, revivals were happening. And, and, and true revivals are good things. They're, they're an act of the Spirit moving in the hearts of men to convict them of sin and convict them of God's holiness. But there also, in the Second Great Awakening, rose up some men that said, man, if we could just keep this Great Awakening happening all the time, we could usher in the kingdom of God because the whole world would be perfect because of this Great Awakening. And, and people like Charles Finney concocted these schemes to produce revivals. I'm going to, I'm going to compel you to be emotionally moved to respond to Jesus. And he came up with all of these, these systems for how you could create revival. And I someday maybe we'll read you some quotes by him. It is just... It is, it is uncomfortable to read the way he talks about how you can manipulate the Holy Spirit and manipulate the, the human heart. And there's a lot of things that we still see today. Particularly if you've ever been to like a camp, there's this thing called an altar call. That is actually kind of a, a system that Charles Finney developed saying, man, when you get people moving towards the front, everybody's like, man, I want to be a part of this too. And then, then it causes this kind of effect where everybody starts moving. He, he created this thing called the, the anxious bench where people who were really worried and nervous spiritually came and sat and they got nervous. And then everybody else was seeing them nervous and they all got moved. It, um, emotions, I don't know if you've noticed this as a high school, but emotions are really tricky things. And you can really manipulate a lot of people around you through your emotions. You're having a sour day, you're going to cry, suddenly everybody's having a sour day and is going to cry, right? You can easily manipulate emotions. And emotions feel very true. And that is how you can manipulate uh, kind of false moves of the Spirit. Wow, look at this. I felt this. I felt so moved by the Spirit. Right? That, that was the ugly. That, and, and a lot of cults, actually, which is what we're going to talk about today, came out of these these movements of religious fervor, trying to manufacture religious experience. Actually, this is where you could you could root uh, um, you could root uh, Jehovah's Witnesses to this. You could you could root uh, Mormons to this. And and today we're even going to talk about another false form of Christianity. Christian scientists that I would also say were were rooted to this idea of man. I just I, I want to feel something about God, and that's kind of where it came from. That's the good, the bad, and the ugly. But one more thing from Doctor. Um, 
uh, Buznitz, one thing that I was, thought was really helpful in this lecture as well is how he explained the, something that happened early on in this, uh, in this revivalism that was happening in the 19th and 18th century. He, he talked about this re, uh, restorationist movement started by uh, Barton Stone and Alexander Campbell. Now, you don't need to know that, and it's not related to that Campbell over there. Don't worry. Um, but these, these, these men started something called the Church of Christ. You may have heard of it, the Disciples of Christ. But the whole idea behind this, and once again, this comes out of that kind of religious fervor trying to manufacture something. The idea behind the, the Church of Christ movement was, hey, we want to just go back to the primitive church. What do you mean by primitive? The, the early church, the first century church. We want to skip all of this church history. We want to skip all of these creeds and these councils. We want to skip all of that and just go right back to the original church. We want to be like Acts 2. Now that sounds somewhat good in, in some ways, but the problem is, and, and Dr. Buzan shows this masterfully in his lecture, the problem is when they tried to jump back to the early church and skip over like the, the, the Council of Nicaea, Chalcedon, all those kinds of things, when they skipped over all of those councils, they actually did go back to the primitive church. They went back to the primitive church heresies of the early church, right? When you, when you skip out on church history, you actually find yourself repeating the same mistakes. You've heard the, of the phrase, right? Those who uh, forget history repeat it. Uh, what, 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 history repeats itself. What is the actual quote, those, though? Those, the, who, those uh, who are doomed to, doomed to repeat it. Right, exactly. This is what happened so often in uh, the 19th and 20th century of Christianity, people said, hey, we want to we wanna be sincere Christians. We're going to go back to the early church and, and nothing but the early church. No creeds for us, no councils for us. We're just going to go back to the early church. But all they did was fall into the same traps. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to see today. Um, just so you know, this is very interesting to me. Um, this is Joseph Smith. Uh, he's the one that kind of started... Um, Mormonism. Mormonism it was not a rediscovery of primitive Christianity like he claimed. Remember, we talked about that. He thought he was the only one that had rediscovered the truth of Christianity. Mormonism was not a rediscovery of primitive Christianity. It was a rediscovery of ancient Gnosticism and the heresy of Gnosticism. And also, Charles Taze Russell, who kind of started the Jehovah's Witness movement, did not rediscover primitive original Christianity. Do you know what he discovered? He just discovered uh, an ancient heresy called Arianism, which you guys have heard about several times this weekend, right? That's all he discovered. When you, when you try to skip out on church history sometimes, you actually just jump right back to the same old cults. But that brings us to our cult for today. You could say Christian science Uh, it was originally called, as I've said, the Church of Christ Scientists. Uh, it was officially made a church uh, with a state charter in Massachusetts in um, 1879. Um, it changed its name to Church of Christ Scientists. That, that doesn't mean anything to you. Uh, the basic belief of the Church of Christ Scientists, or we'll just call it Christian Science, is mind over matter. You've got to, you've got to realize that this entire world is just an illusion to you. Evil is an illusion. Sin is an illusion. If you can just get it through your mind that this world isn't like that, you'll solve all of your problems of, of sin, of um, sickness, and all of these problems. It's all in your head, right? It's mind over matter. And, and really big in Christian science is healing. They really believe in healing, and if you read their website at all, you'll quickly see, man, they want 
They want to discover the key, the, the truth of how you can heal yourself. The New Testament church could heal people. Why can't we? We, we want to discover the secrets of healing, and we have discovered, they would say, that healing comes from realizing the truth, that the world is just an illusion, that you are actually in union with God, and everything essentially good comes from God is not broken, therefore we shouldn't be broken, then stop thinking like you're broken. That is essentially what Christian science believes. Of course, they believe they're the only Christians around. They are famous for several things. Maybe you've heard of these things, Christian reading rooms, where basically they're like storefronts usually. You go to their church, you go into a reading room, and you read you know, a little bit of the Bible, but mainly a lot of their books, you know, those, kinds, those kinds of reading rooms, just to kind of have a spiritual experience and find healing. You might also know them for a newspaper that they've written or a magazine. It's called the Christian Science Monitor. Um, and maybe you've heard of their services. Their services are pretty simple. It's just basically you know, reading a little bit of the Bible and reading um, the, the book of their founder. Now, here's an interesting thing I found. Um, there, are, there are a few famous Christian science, uh, science uh, adherents uh, in, our, in our day and age. These are a little bit older, but it'll, told, it, it'll, it'll show you that this is, this is uh, a lot of people you may know actually are Christian scientists or at least say they are. Aubrey Hepburn, maybe you don't know her from ancient movies, but she's an old actress. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor, anybody? Cleopatra? No? Okay. Uh, Henry Fonda, anybody know who Henry Fonda is? He's Jane Fonda's dad. Anybody know who Jane Fonda is? No? Okay, all right. Um, here's one you know. Robert Duvall, right? There we go, right? He's the best cowboy I've ever seen, right? Robert Duvall. Uh, Ellen, I believe, DeGeneres. Here you go. I mean, that's heartbreaking for some of you. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres. But that is not nearly as heartbreaking as this next one will be. Uh, Robin Williams might be. I don't know. I'll have to check on that a little bit more. I, I can't believe it, right? It can't, it can't be true. Uh, um, here, let's do a little, let's do a little background. Um, who is this woman? Let me explain it to you. In 1821, Mary Baker was born. That is this woman. She uh, would eventually... Um, be called by the name Mary Baker Eddy, and that uh, last name, Eddy, was actually her, her third husband's last name. So her full name, she had three husbands. Um, her full name was Mary Baker Glover Patterson Eddy, but we just call her Mary Baker Eddy. Um, that is, uh, she's the one that really kind of started it. In, um, in 1862 um, and 1864, she was dealing with all sorts of sicknesses in her life. She had a very frail uh, body, and she had a lot of depression, and all of this led her to seek healing wherever she could find it. And you see this all the time when people get sick, right? I want to try to find any remedy I can for my sickness. I want to find some healing. And this led her to study under this man called P.P. Quimby. Let's see here. There you go. There's a picture of him. Just so you know, everybody had really epic beards back then. Uh, that doesn't mean beards are wrong, just so you know. P.P. Um, uh, P. Quimby, his name is Phineas Parkhurst Quimby, was something called a mentalist. He applied uh, principles of hypnosis to kind of solve people's medical problems. And, and his basic theme was mind over matter, right? If you can just believe that you're not sick anymore, you won't be sick anymore. And he, he did this. And, and she studied under him, and it really didn't result in anything until in 18... 1866, 
she had this really bad accident where she slipped on the ice and she, she hurt herself really bad. Matter of fact, the doctor said she had less than a week to live. And so then that led her to start studying and reading her Bible. This is age 45. She's got a terminal diagnosis and she reads her Bible uh, passionately. And she studied the story of the healing of the paralytic man from Matthew 9. And she used uh, Quimby's techniques of mind over matter. And she claimed that she had been healed. Well, obviously she didn't die, so it seemed as though she was a legitimate uh, story of being healed. And then in 1875, she began studying, she began kind of like revealing this, this secret key that she had discovered in the Bible about how healing is all really in your mind. And in 1875, she published her study notes that she'd been going through with a study uh, group. She published this uh, textbook, you could say. Its full name is Health and Science with the Key to the Scriptures. And right there, uh, your little antenna should be going up all over the place. Key to the Scriptures. That sounds slightly uh, strange. And by the way, anything, everything, everything that you read uh, by Christian scientists is really just by Mary Baker Eddy, and, and health and science is just their go-to text. This is the thing that they read in their reading rooms while they read their Bible. This is, this is everything to them. Let me see if I'm still okay. Uh, 75 in, in 1876, uh, Christian Scientists Association was formed. Um, in 1879, Church of Christ Scientist was uh, officially given its state charter in Massachusetts. Um, in 1889, um, oh, sorry, let's just jump to 1894. Um, Christian science was introduced into Bakersfield. This is just interesting, just for for your knowledge. There was this woman called Laura Owens who was healed of a fatal illness using and, and reading the Bible while also reading uh, Science and Health. And their present location is actually on uh, 18th and C Street. But that's that's how long this movement has been in Bakersfield, by the way, for well over 100 years. Um, and then in 1898... Um, the Christian Science Publishing Society was kind of formed, and this was kind of where the Christian Science Monitor uh, came from, their news uh, magazine. And as of um, uh, in, in 1906, their membership just began to explode. In, in 1890, they only had about uh, a little bit under 9,000 people, but in 1906, after the, the, the publishing house kind of took off, their membership grew to 55,000. In, in 1936, a U.S. census estimated that there was upwards of 250,000 Christian scientists in the U.S. alone. Um, and then, of course, in, in 1910, guess what? This is the interesting part of the story. Mary Baker Eddy dies. She dies of frailty and oldness and sickness. She dies. She, she dies. I'm, just, just think about that for a second. Um, today, there are estimated to be about 2,000 Christian scientist churches worldwide. Most of those are in the United States. But that's kind of the background of the movement. But what do they actually believe? What do Christian scientists actually believe? Um, I'll, I'll kind of summarize it in, in three points. But, but as I do, remember kind of the three pillars of Christianity, right? Uh, what, are, what are the pillars of Christianity that we assess forms of Christianity by? By their view of Scripture, their view of Savior, and their view of salvation. Remember those, those three things? Here, I'm just going to give you three things that they believe that may or may not have to do with those three pillars. So, um, number one, they believe that sin and evil is an illusion. Uh, matter, sin, and sickness 
are not real, but only illusions. Uh, Baker Eddy would say, there is no devil, there is no sin. Evil and good, both evil and good, are not real. Basically, to quote Mrs. Tweedy, it is all in your head. It is all in your head. How many of you have watched this movie? Anybody? Nobody? Nobody? No friends? That's, that's basically what the movement is saying. It is all in your head. You just need to wrap your mind around the goodness of God, and nothing will actually affect you. Here is a quote from Mary Baker Eddy herself. All reality is in God and his creation, uh, harmonious and eternal. That which he creates is good, and he makes all that is made. Therefore, the only reality of sin, sickness, or death is the awful fact that unra- unrealities seem real to humans, error, erring belief until God strips off their disguise. They are not true because they are not of God. And here, here's the logic, right? God is good. God is perfect. Everything that comes from God should be perfect and good. How can sin and evil be in the world with a good God? That is their conclusion. So therefore, it must all be in our head. Uh, Man is perfect, perfect because uh, of God, and he is perfect. It's, in other words, all in your head. Uh, So what is the great salvation that Christian uh, scientists provide? They don't seek salvation from death. They don't seek atonement for their sin before God. Matter of fact, to them, Jesus only seemed to die. Uh, Jesus, in reality, only provides uh, an example of enlightenment, how he overcame the evil of the world by not being duped by the lie of evil in the world. And he is an example to us about how you and I can escape pain by just not thinking about it or something like that. Uh, But this is what uh, Christian scientists provide. They provide a salvation called enlightenment. You'll see this all over the place. Enlightenment. You just need to open up your mind to what's really happening, and you will find all of the solutions to your problems. Here's another quote by Mary Baker Eddy. Um, To put down the claim of sin, you must detect it. Remove the mask. Put out the illusion, and thus get the victory over sin, and so prove its unreality. The sick are not healed merely by declaring there is no sickness, but by knowing that there is none. Now, if you ask me, that sounds a little bit like, uh, you know, healing in the charismatic movement. Uh, You're not healed, you do not believe enough, right? You have to know that there's no sickness, and then you will be free from sickness. Uh, What's something else um, that they believe? Not only is sin and evil an illusion, here's another thing, they believe... I'm being, I'm being funny here. Uh, no creed but the Bible, they would say, but really, and whatever else comes out of Mary Baker Eddy's mouth, right? We believe in the Bible, but as it is rightly interpreted by Mary Baker Eddy. Now, once again, Mary Baker Eddy would claim that she derives all of her beliefs from Scripture. She would claim that this is some secret or key that she has discovered in the Bible, and, and she'll help you see it in the Bible as well. But you, you have to see it through her, otherwise you won't see it. Right? But Eddie would say, the Bible has been my only authority. Divine science derives its sanction from the Bible. She says the Bible is the inspired word and our sufficient guide to eternal life. So she says a lot of good things. Once again, 
cults say a lot of good-sounding things that sound right. I have figured this from the Bible. It's my only sufficient authority. But when you, when you dig at it more, you, you, you quickly, quickly see that you must have Mary Baker Eddy in order to understand the world this way. You must have her rediscovery of what the Bible is really saying, otherwise you won't really read the Bible. So essentially, you need to have this work, uh, health and science, right next to your Bible all the time. Otherwise, you will not see what the Bible is saying. If this is not interpreting the Bible always, you do not understand the Bible. But what does that really mean? It means this is over the Bible. That's really what it means. Every time someone says, unless you've got this book, you can't really figure out what the Bible is saying, that means they're putting that book over. Every time anyone does that, right? The Roman Catholics, we'll see next week, put tradition over the Bible. That's what they do. And that is, that's not just saying, oh, we just find them equal. No, it's saying one is over the other. Um, Matter of fact, Mary Baker Eddy would say, when you say, well, what about this verse? What about that verse? What about this verse? What about you know the, the reality of evil and sin that I see so clearly in my Bible? Well, how would she answer you? She would say that your Bible, get this, get this, uh, mind-blowing, mind-blowing discovery here by Mary Baker Eddy, your Bible, people, has been corrupted by bad councils. All right, here, let me read it to you. Uh, the decision by vote of church councils as to what should and should not be considered holy writ Uh, the manifest mistakes in the ancient versions, the 30,000 different readings in the Old Testament, and the 300,000 in the New, these facts show how a mortal, in a material sense, stole into the divine record. Now that's ancient words to say. These, These different attacks on the Bible stole in there, made all these sorts of changes, so now you can't really see uh, Christian science, right? But she goes on to say, um, but mistakes could neither wholly obscure the divine science of the scriptures seen from Genesis to Revelation, mar the demonstration of Jesus, nor annul the healing by the prophets who foresaw that the stones which the builders rejected would become the head of the corner. So basically she's saying, ah, they, they changed a lot of it, but they didn't change enough of it, and I found it. And I found it there where it was hidden by all of these, um, how would she refer to it? 30,000 different readings of the Old Testament, 3,000 of the New, uh, many manifest mistakes in the ancient version. So once again, she has believed, she has believed what, what liberalism was telling her, that the Bible is completely unreliable. And she has said, well, that, that's probably why you can't see Christian science in the Bible because it is so unreliable. But uh, once again, once again, Christian science would say, we don't have a creed, though. We don't have any doctrine. We just read the Bible. That's what they're going to tell you. We're, we're no creed but the Bible people and six tenets. <laughs> so uh, they actually do have a little bit of a creed. Now, once again, whenever you hear someone say, I have no creed but the Bible, uh, that is a creed. It's just a bad creed, right? It's, it's, just, it's just saying, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to ignore what uh, church history has uh, produced as far as wisdom, the illumination of the Spirit, and other things like that. But they do have creeds and things like that. But really, it's just a bad creed. They, they would say, really, their true creed, if they're being honest, is our creed is we need to understand the Bible through the writings of Mary Baker Eddy uh, because they have been hopelessly lost 
in all of the pollution of the church. And finally, uh, sin and evil is an illusion. You can't trust your Bible, which is really that second point. Uh, the third one is you don't really need Jesus. Now, if there is ever a reason to say this is a false form of Christianity, I think this would be one. But essentially, Mary Baker Eddy says, that's not what the Bible is about. The Bible is about unlocking your inner potential and unlocking your inner divinity, your knowledge, and removing the unreality of evil and sin. Jesus is just a good example. He's just another person. Matter of fact, she denies the incarnation. She, de- she denies the deity of Jesus. She would say that Christ and Jesus are two different things. Jesus was a human who lived in the first century. He only appeared to die, but he was, he was saved from death. And his example saves us by showing us how to escape death. But Christ is, is an, a divine idea, not a person, a divine idea, invisible It is ideal truth, she would say, that comes to heal sickness and sin through Christian science. According to her, though, you don't really need Jesus. You don't need the historical Jesus to die for sin. That's not your problem. Your problem is where? In your head. Here's what she would say about Jesus. If there had never existed such a person as the Galilean prophet, it would make no difference to me. If there had never existed such a person as the Galilean prophet, it would make no difference to me. You don't need Jesus. You just need to be enlightened. You just need to understand the way the world really is. Also, I could add to this, you don't need the Trinity. The Trinity is, is not a Trinity. She would say that's a profane understanding, right? God is not three. That's, that's tritheism in her mind. The Trinity, she would say, in the Bible, is actually referring to three things. Life, truth, and love. The Holy Spirit is not a person. It's just a divine presence or power. Um, uh, it's actually what she would say is it's the divine science itself. That's what the Holy Spirit is. Matter of fact, she would say God... Is, is not a person or a personality separate from you, but God is mind and intelligence. Intelligence is omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence. It is the primal and eternal quality of infinite mind, of triune principle, life, truth, and love, named God. Mind is God. I, I'll have to dig at that a little bit more, but she just sees God everywhere, God in everything, and you need to kind of connect to God in order to see reality, and that reality is actually no evil. In conclusion, uh, Christian science isn't, I would say, isn't even close to a true form of Christianity. You can't, you can't say these things and hold to true, historic, orthodox Christian faith. It isn't Christian, and it isn't scientific. I would say that's very clear. It denies nearly every single cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith. You can just go down the list and it will probably deny or reinterpret. It reinterprets scripture so much, so much that you cannot even recognize Christianity in it. But it uses enough Christian terms like Jesus, Christ, Holy Spirit, so so on and so forth, that it sounds slightly Christian. Although I could read to you a few quotes of the organization. You'd be like, something seems off about that. The way they referred to God there doesn't seem quite right, right? It is a cult. It looks Christian on the outer, but on the inner, inside of it, what it believes, it is nothing like Christianity at all. It doesn't 
it doesn't have any purchase to outside of the writings of Mary Baker Eddy. If it wasn't for Mary Baker Eddy, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see any of this stuff in the Bible. That is what a cult looks like. Now, how do we guard ourselves against um, cults? Guard yourself. Now, this is, once again, one thing I want to do. It's just a bigger picture, right? We're, we're talking about Christian science, but I want you guys to grow in your wisdom generally because of what we've talked about here. There's a few things I, I really want you to take away from this. Number one, know your Bible better. When you know your Bible, you, you read some of these things that they say. Now, where in the world did you get that from? Know your Bible better. Uh, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Know your Bible better, but I would also say know the, the common characteristics of cults. And, and I've been trying to do this, trying to help you see, like, wow, there's a lot of similar thoughts and similar practices and similar habits that cults tend to have. Matter of fact, I was reading this really interesting article in the Apologetic Study Bible that was saying it gave a list of all of these common characteristics that cults tend to have. Now, now listen to this list. There are... It will be fast. There are 27. There are 27, but just like listen to this list and say, oh, oh, yeah, I see that. I see that. I see that in, in Christian science. I see that in, in, in Mormonism. I see that in Jehovah's Witnessism. Just listen to this list and see what you think. Um, number one, the group is almost always outside of the mainstream of dominant religious forms and culture and displays in oppositional style and substance, meaning it is elitist and it's exclusivistic. So they're, they're, they're going to be outside of, of normal mainstream Christian religion. Number two, um, they, uh, often there is a new authority, a new revelation besides the Bible from which the adherents of the group must find ultimate truths. Christian science falls there, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, we've seen that all over the place. Uh, on the other hand, some groups do not claim to have new extra-biblical revelation. Instead, a group may claim, all we use is the Bible. But the Bible is reinterpreted to justify and defend false teaching. Once again, it sounds like Christian science. Um, the group, number four, is comprised of lay people. There are no paid cl- clergy or professional religious uh, functionaries. That's, that's more of a Jehovah's Witness and Mormonism thing. Uh, the group is focused around a central figure who is a prophet, founder, chosen by God to deliver a special message to the modern world that is not found in the Bible, has not been known to genuine Christians throughout all church history, or to recover the teaching of the ancient church that has been lost through the centuries. It sounds a little bit like Mary Baker Eddy to me. It sounds like Christian science. It sounds like Jehovah's Witness. Honestly, it sounds like uh, the the influencers movement that we'll talk about in October. Um, uh, Number six, the leader is usually a charismatic figure, and often the style of his or her leadership is authoritarian. Number seven, often the group teaches that the Bible foretold the coming of its particular group or leader. Number eight, the group thinks of its belief system as the last bastion of God's work on earth and the adherent adherents are God's final and last group, and they play a central role in the last things. The truth of all things spiritual is exclusive within them, and the world is doomed without them. That is Jehovah's Witnesses, that's Christian science, and a few other groups. The group believes its adherents are being persecuted. The group, uh, number 10, engages in some form of uh, predatory or destructive recruitment of new members. Can't get into that. And number 11, the group sanctions wayward and rebellion 
um, uh, members. Number 12, the group believes that God is a force or a power, not a person who relates to the creation. Number 13, the group is fixated on eschatology. You see that in Jehovah's Witnesses all over the place, by the way. Um, number 14, the lifestyle of the group's members is highly legalistic. You see that in Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnessism as well. Um, the group, number 15, has no notion of a communal organization Sorry, the group has no notion that a communal organization is necessary to fulfill the human calling. Therefore, there is usually a tightly maintained autocratic organization which governs both spiritual and everyday life. Also, see um, highly legalistic. There's there's one like dominating group that do, that commands everything that everybody in the church does or the group does. The group engages in strange rituals and mindless chanting. The group emphasizes secondary issues and minor points in theology. Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian scientists are example. The group members are often taught that they can have direct revelations and visions from God. The group claims that it is um, compatible or in harmony with the Bible or traditional Christianity, uh, but in fact re- it reduces and discounts the Bible or otherwise adds to the revelation of Scripture. The group has usurped um, traditional Christian vocabulary but has redefined and uh, reinterpreted terms and concepts from the Bible, making its words do this thing called double duty in order to defend uh, their doctrines. Uh, I'm getting tired here. The the group denies at least one central uh, Christian truth uh, we've shown that already. The group denies both the doctrine of the Trinity and the Incarnation. We've seen that all throughout. Um, the group recognizes Jesus as a great teacher and a leader, an avatar, a, a wise man, but even as the most important of God's created beings, does not believe that Jesus is both fully human and fully God. The group teaches a way of salvation through works. We've seen that with Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnessism. The group emphasizes experience over doctrine. Uh, the group is mystical and individually li- individualistic in its orientation. And the group, of course, dabbles in the occult and spiritism. It's just some characteristics of cults. And maybe some of you are saying, man, that kind of sounds like the church I came from. Or maybe some of you are like, man, that kind of sounds like a lot of the Christianity that I see in the world. It's because we're so, we're so desperate for emotional experience that will go to anything that can promise us emotional experience. And, and those are usually cults. That's, that's uh, know the common characteristic, but also know the history of the church. Know the history of the church and and this was helpful that I, that I saw here at Steadfast this year. I, I don't know if you realize, but man, you see Christ's deity so clearly in the Bible, don't you? That, that's what we saw. It was very obvious to us. Oh, that, that's, that Christ is clearly being declared to be God. But you know what? Church history also has fought a lot of battles over the person and the deity of Christ as well. And a lot of other battles as well. The deity of the Holy Spirit as well. The The the, the understanding of the Trinity as well. When you throw out church history, when you ch- throw out the early creeds in particular, you actually set yourself up to repeat the same mistakes. Um, this is, uh, I was reading uh, Nate Pickowitz's a new book called Christ and Creed, and he said this, 
I've been reading a ton to you guys, but please just be patient for one more moment. He said this, The heart of the Protestant Reformation was a battle over the authority and the sufficiency of the Bible. The Roman Catholic Church, although they regarded the Bible as wholly authoritative, they also looked to other forms of authority, church councils, traditions, rulers, uh, rulings from popes. They, they saw this as equally authoritative. The Reformers, however, maintained the distinction that Scripture alone was the supremely authoritative standard by which all must be resolved in the Christian life. But what the Reformers were not advocating was a total rejection of all extra-biblical teaching. They saw the value of the writing of the early church fathers as well as many of the ecumenical creeds and councils. These things were profitable so far as they depended on the Word of God. Some, some of these cults may say, hey, we're just going back to the Bible, sola scriptura. But they're not actually going back to the Bible the way the Reformers did. The the Reformers went back to the Bible and said, what does the Bible actually say? And then they looked at the creeds and the councils and said, hey, the creeds and the councils are actually trying to explain what the Bible is saying to us. And, And this is what I always think of when I think of church history. I embrace church history and as far as it embraces the truth of the Bible. That is what it will do. I I look to church history to help me understand the Bible in as far as it seems to understand the Bible itself. I don't reject all of history. I say, did, did, were they trying to understand something in the Bible, or are they just depending on human tradition? And he, he defines a creed, Pickowitz defines a creed um, this way. <clears throat> it is essential Christian truth in shorthand. It is succinct uh, thematic summary of what the Bible teaches. That's what the early creeds were. They were trying to understand what the Bible was teaching. And, and I would follow creeds as far as I am convinced that they are following Scripture. And once again, it is a dangerous thing to say, I, I don't need a creed. All I need is my Bible. No, I, I want to actually be humble enough to know that God has uh, illuminated other minds before me. And I don't want to be the only person thinking one thing in the Bible. I, I never want to be that person that is the only one seeing something. That is a very dangerous position to be in. I would say knowing church history helps you, though. It helps you in detect in detecting errors and falsehoods. It, it helps you a lot. Because, as you guessed it, remember, uh, Joseph Smith was really just rediscovering ancient Gnosticism. Charles Taze Russell was just rediscovering um, ancient Arianism. And guess what Mary Baker Eddy was just rediscovering? She was just rediscovering another ancient Greek Gnostic belief that had swept into the early church. Now let me tell you about something real quick. Um, in, in ancient Greek philosophy, there was this view called monism. Monism, it was developed by this philosopher, uh, Parenides, he taught that everything other than the absolute one was an illusion. He also said, you can't trust your senses. He said, evil only appears to be evil, and humans are actually deceived about how good the world is. That was an ancient uh, Greek belief. And guess what? In the early church, there was a cult called Docetism, which followed after this understanding of Greek mythology and and used it to interpret or understand the Bible. 
Docetism comes from a Greek word uh, for to seem, or it seems like it. And they would say, Christ only seemed to be human. Uh, Jesus only appeared to have a physical body. Jesus only appeared to die. Once again, notice, the church struggles with this all the time. The devil doesn't use new attacks. He recycles old ones, right? He, he, he wants you to be tempted by the wisdom of the philosophy around you and say, wow, that looks so sophisticated, so wise. I want to be like that. And then you start incorporating the philosophies of the world into your understanding of the Bible, and suddenly you come up with something like docetism, which is really just a shoot-off of monism, which is just a, an ancient great Greek philosophical system of thinking about the world. And that is exactly what Mary Baker Eddy is. She's just a, a kind of a regurgitation of an, a first, second, and third century uh, cult. And when you reject all of church history, you're going to repeat all of church history just like all of these people did. When you say, I'm going to go back to the primitive roots, you're, you're, you're going to be in danger of ignoring the gift that God has given you in church history. Once again, church history is not authoritative tradition that we should put over the Bible. Church history is, hey, how are these people understanding the Bible? I should look to them and listen to them. And as far as they follow the Bible, I should follow them. That's what you do with church history. And that helps you, I would say, um, counter the cults. Protect yourself from the cults. Um, Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, thank you for this morning that we've been able to share together. I pray that this was helpful to these students. And I pray that they would be uh, um, more wise in engaging with all false forms of Christianity. We would be good servants of you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.